Uh, I'm going to be reading in Micah chapter 4 this morning, Uh, so if you found your way there, uh, follow along with me and I'll read through the entire chapter of Micah chapter 4. The word of the Lord in Micah chapter 4 says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. As chief among the mountains, it will be raised above the hills and people will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the the word of the Lord, from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame. I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame a remnant, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. As for you, O watchtower of the flock, O stronghold of the daughter of Zion, the former dominion will be restored. I'll continue in verse 6. We'll start over in verse 6. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame. I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame a remnant and those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. And as for you, O watchtower of the flock, O stronghold of the daughter of Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Why do you now cry aloud, have you no king? Has your counselor perished? The pain seizes you like that of a woman in labor. Writhe in agony, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you must leave the city to camp in the open field. You will go to Babylon and there you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you out of the hand of your enemies. But now many nations are gathered against you and they say, let her be defiled. Let our eyes gloat over Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan. He who gathers them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Rise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. For I will give you horns of iron, and I will give you hooves of bronze, and you will break to pieces many nations. You will devote their ill-gotten gains to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. So in Micah chapter 4, um, when I first um, was started to study for today, I was immediately reminded of a gift that all mothers seem to have. And if you're a mom, you can attest to this. If you have a mom, you can also attest to this. But mothers, especially my mom, has this ability that she can say the same word. For example, we'll use my name, Jesse. It's my name. If you say Jesse, I should respond to you. 
And yet, with just the change of tone, that name can mean so many different things. My mom has the ability with just the name Jesse to strike fear into my heart or bring joy to my heart. Jesse means, hey, I want to talk to you. Jesse means, I need to talk to you. Jesse, what are you doing? It's just in her tone, and all mothers have it. I experience it with Karina. All she has to do is say Aiden the right way, and boy, he'll stand straight up, right? Mothers have this ability that just with the change of tone, the entire message of what they're saying can change. And Micah chapter 4 is definitely a change of tone that we see compared to Micah's chapter 1 through 3. There's a change of pace uh, in Micah chapter 4, and we see that. And we saw in Micah chapters 1 through 3, there was a confronting of the nation for their corruption and against corruption and false teaching. Taught against their, he, he warned against their oppression of the people. It was a warning for the people to repent and a warning of coming judgment. And now, in chapter 4, we see the promise of a glorious future. The tone has changed. We go from disaster and lament. We read about shaving your heads in mourning. We read about the eating of people's flesh and the waging of war. And now we've transitioned to a description of the mountain of the Lord. We read about people that would stream to it in hope. The redeeming of God's people. And we read in Micah chapter 4 about the end of war. There's a change of tone. Let me just say I'm glad Michael Bame preached on the first three chapters of Micah. Because when he asked me to originally preach in Micah, I was concerned until he told me I have chapter 4. We see a change of tone, and that change is timely right now with it being the first official day of Advent. Switching to a message now of hope is very appropriate for the season that we're entering into. And as we enter into Advent, which is a time of reflective preparation for the birth of Christ and preparation to the day where Christ will come again, as we reflect during this season at the coming of our Savior that was foretold by the prophets, we remember and we join in with the hope that's in that message. And as we read Micah 4, we can join the people of God in hope that Christ will come again and he will reign forever. And in his kingdom there will be no end. The message of Advent that we're entering into and the message in Micah chapter 4 is the same. And we'll see that message is hope is coming. That's our big idea today. Hope is coming. And we read in Micah 4, hope is coming. And as we enter into Advent, that's what we're remembering. Hope is coming and hope has come. That we as followers of Christ always can have hope. We always have someone to hope in. During this season and during all the ages to come and whatever happens in life, between now and the moment we stop breathing, we can always have hope. And so we'll see them. We'll read that together. Uh, for anyone who's known me for any amount of time, I usually try to bring up within the first little bit of knowing someone that I'm a huge fan of Lord of the Rings. 
And if you don't know what Lord of the Rings is, it's a, it's a novel that was written a long time ago by a guy, a guy named J.R. Tolkien. It tells the story. Um, this, this is where people really kind of glaze over that aren't into science fiction. It's about hobbits and elves and all that kind of stuff. So if, you, if you're not into that, this is going to bore you, but I'll try to make it short and sweet for you. In this book, uh, there's these two people, these two guys, these hobbits, we'll call them guys to not bore you over, they're given a task They're given a great task that they have to go and destroy this thing that has brought evil and calamity to the world they live in. And on their way to go complete this task, they're confronted with many obstacles along the way. They're confronted with hardship. They lose loved ones and friends. They face turmoil after turmoil, all with the goal of reaching the finish line of destroying this thing that has brought so much evil to many people. And in the part of the story towards the end where these two guys, they're on the side of a mountain and they're close to the end of their journey and yet they reach a moment where they just cannot go on. They've faced too much. This trip has cost them so much. They have nothing left to give. And so they're laying on the side of a mountain towards the end of their journey and it's this moment in the, in the novel and this moment in the movie, if you've seen it, where all hope seems lost. How can they continue? How can they finish this thing that they've been given to do? And then there's this guy named Sam who asks this question to his friend that is carrying this burden. He asks him, he says, do you remember? Do you remember? And he reminds them of their home. And he asks them that question, do you remember? And he tells them, Mr. Frodo, it's almost spring. You know what that means? That means the flowers are going to be in bloom back home. That the birds will be nesting and singing their song. That the farmers will be sowing in their fields. And they'll be eating strawberries and cream. Who doesn't love strawberries and cream? And he says, do you remember, Mr. Frodo? And he's reminding them and he's pointing to this place that if they can just finish this task, they can return home. And he's reminding him of this place that they have that they can go to where there's peace and they can leave this place that they're currently in. And he's trying to give them hope by asking the question, do you remember? And that's what I sense in Micah chapter four. He's saying, do you remember? This is what's coming. This is what the Lord has promised through prophets through generations and generations of prophets saying who the Lord is, he's pointing them, he's pointing the reader back to who God is. Do you remember what's coming? That we have a king who will reign forever. We read in Micah chapter four, do you remember? He points out who God is, how he will bring justice. What is going to come if you don't get your act together and repent? Have you forgotten? The people of Israel often did forget. And yet, Micah chapter 4, there's this question of, and there's this, this statement of, this is what's coming. Remember what the Lord is going to do. And it gives us hope for the future. And if the first few verses of Micah chapter 4, the first three verses, seem familiar, it's because they are in Isaiah. And they're almost word for word, 100% the same as the first four verses in Isaiah chapter 2. See, Isaiah and Micah were contemporaries, which means they lived together at the same time. They were prophesying at the same time to the same group of people. 
And so God was really trying to get something through to his people because he was sending the same message through multiple prophets to the same group of people. He wanted them to hear this message. It was important. And anytime something's repeated in scripture, I've learned it's rather important. It's like when a parent says, I've said it three times already to their kid, right? Well, God is saying this thing multiple times to his children. He wants them to listen. And so in Micah chapter four, we're gonna go through three places where when we read about the coming kingdom and what God's plan is to do, three places where our hope can be placed. And the first one that we'll talk about today is that we have hope in God's kingdom. We can have hope in God's kingdom. We read in verse three about this righteous judge that will come and he will settle disputes and he will bring peace. And see, this was important. This would have mattered to the people of God that were reading this because the people of God had a history with people that were judges. And it wasn't always a great history. So for them to hear about a judge that was good and that was perfect and that would bring peace mattered to them and it would, have, it would have triggered something in their memories and in their hearts. See, after Moses led, led God's people through the wilderness to the promised land, Joshua took over. And Joshua and God's people entered into the promised land and as Joshua and the Israelites have their first victory, God gives them these instructions to follow and he says, do these things so that you may live. And he gives them instructions to follow and says, if you do these things, you will prosper. And he gives them the set of instructions so that they would have victory and live lives that he intended them to, to be his image bearers. And yet, after they get these instructions, they don't follow them. And they begin to worship idols and do what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And we read in the Old Testament, we read during this time about this cycle that the people of God go through. They worship Idols, they become oppressed, they cry out to God, and God delivers them. And again, they worship idols, they face oppression, they cry out to God, and God delivers them. And it's in this hopeless state, when they were being oppressed because of their own sin, that God began to raise up these people to deliver them, and these people were called judges. And now these people were meant to be people who delivered the people of God and led them as a nation and God established them to deliver them and point them back to God. And some of these judges did exactly that. And yet we read through the Old Testament that not all of them did. A lot of them were deeply flawed and they often led Israel astray back into idolatry that they were sent to bring the people of God out of. And the judges that were good and did what was right, they still only brought an imperfect deliverance. It was only temporary. And even with a good judge, a good judge still brought war. And so with each judge, there was a little more chaos and a little more war. So for the, for the people to read what Micah wrote in verse three, that they were gonna have a judge that would judge them righteously and bring peace was a contrast to what they were used to. This would have mattered and been really important to them. In verse three, we read that this judge who will bring peace and it will cause them to beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And we see in verse three that this judge truly does bring peace. 
And that instruments that were made to bring death are turned into instruments that now bring life. Farm equipment that feeds the people of God. There's a contrast between the judges they were used to and this coming judge who would judge righteously. The judges of old brought war and yet this new judge that's talked about in Micah 4 is going to end all wars. This is good news indeed for the people of God. And we also read in the kingdom of God uh, how he establishes in Micah chapter 4, he talks about a ruler, a ruler that is coming in verse 7. See, the last judge whose name was Samuel, God led him to put in place a king over the people of Israel. And we read in the Old Testament about these kings and how they turned out, right? We started with Saul, which led to David, which led to Solomon, and the line of kings that went on and on became increasingly wicked throughout the history of the people of God. I mean, read through First and Second Kings and you'll see the line of kings that the, Israel, the Israelites had. Increasingly wicked in what they did. And there's this refrain that's repeated through the rulers that were over the people of God. It said, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And over and over again, we see these kings that lead the people into idol worship, into heartache. There's occasional bright spots where a good king would come and it would, that king would get rid of idols. And there would be this hope Every time a good king, there would be this hope, finally, someone who's going to lead the people of God back to him and point them back to righteousness. And we will finally represent him among the nations. But as we read through First and Second Kings, with every good king, it seems to be followed by a king who's even worse than the one before. They rebuild idols. They even sacrifice their own children to idols. They led the people of God astray and into evil into despicable practice of the nations, and they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And yet, in Micah chapter 4, God's people are met with a message that is different, and it contrasts those rulers they've had before and the kings that they've had up to that point that have led them astray. So this would have been a big deal when they read in verse 7, where it says that, they're, that they would not have a ruler that would just lead them to heartache, but in Micah 4, 7, that there is a coming king who would rule from that day and forevermore. His kingdom would have no end. The kings that they knew of old would lead them astray and then perish and lead them desolate, grasping for hope, and they had none. This new king would establish a kingdom of righteousness, and he would reign forever, and his kingdom would never end. This was good news for the people that would have been reading Micah chapter 4. They had only known judges that led them astray and kings that led them astray and now they have a promise. There is a coming judge and a coming king who will rule and judge justly and his kingdom would never end. This was good news. And so an application question that I didn't make a slide for, I apologize, would be are you hoping in God's kingdom? Are you hoping in God's kingdom or have you allowed your circumstance and your experience to influence how you view his kingdom? Have we allowed the things that we've gone through in our life skew the way that we view our loving and kind God? When we hear that God is love, do we believe it? Or do we allow what we've gone through to influence our belief in that? This is good news indeed. The second place that we find hope in Micah chapter 4 is this hope in God's plan. In verses 6 and 7, 
In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles, and those I have brought to grief, I will make the lame a remnant, those driven away a strong nation, and the Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. So we read that he's going to establish his new kingdom with rejected and lame people. His strong nation that will last forever and never end. He decides to pick the lowly and the least of these to build that nation. That seems to be counterintuitive when you think about it. I want a strong nation that'll never end. Who's the weakest? Who's the lowly? Who's the rejected? Those are the people that I'm going to establish this new kingdom with. And sometimes, well, most of the time, God's plan does not make sense to us or look the way that we would necessarily have chosen for that plan to play out. And yet we're reminded in 1 Corinthians, Paul reminds us, God chose the foolish things. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 27 and 28. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. I never imagined in my own life that God would use a time in my life where I lost everything. I lost my best friend and my job. I lost my car and all these things that were really important to me in my life. These things that I had worked for, the kingdom I had built, when it got ripped out from underneath me, I was in a low place. And if you would have asked me then, I would have told you there's no hope. I worked so hard to get where I was and I lost it all. I would have never imagined, I would have never planned any of that to happen. I thought it was over for me and yet God had another plan. And he led me back to him through that circumstance Through those things I had gone through, he used that in my life to bring him back to him. I'm so thankful for those things I went through because without those things, I would not have found him. And after following the Lord, I remember saying, well, I'll do anything, Lord, but I don't want to be a missionary because I met some missionaries in Louisville and they were weird. And I was like, I'll do, I'll do whatever you want, Lord, but I'm not going to do that. Well, the Lord had other plans. And I ended up being a missionary with YWAM for a little over five years. And God used that time in my life. And I'm so thankful that he did, and I'm so thankful that he had other plans for me. And when I was working in missions, I worked a lot with youth groups and youth pastors. My job was to take youth pastors and their youth groups on trips over the, across the world. That was my job. And I remember I would tell my friends, because I worked with youth pastors, I'd say, listen, I, I like what I do now, but I would never be a youth pastor. <sighs> that looks like a tough job. I never want to do that. I think Karina, I think I probably told you that too. And yet... God had other plans, obviously. Because being a youth pastor has become one of the greatest joys of my life. I'm so glad that God had other plans for me because if it would have just worked out the way I wanted it to, who knows where I'd be? It was because of God and his plans that led me back to him and led me to where I am today 
And those plans didn't make sense. And yet his plans are good. And if he wants to choose the the least of these to establish his new kingdom, we need to trust in that plan. Trust that it is a good plan. There's a famous saying, you guys probably know it, but if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Yeah, I think it's kind of true. God has plans. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We're not going to understand. And yet we need to come to a place where we trust him with those plans. A couple nights ago, uh, Aiden and Sophie and myself, we were watching this play about Joseph. It's just the the life of Joseph. And we were watching his life and as as it played out on the TV of being, you know, being beloved by his father, jealousy from the brothers, he's thrown into the pit, sold into slavery, rises up to be the leader of the household, just to be falsely accused, thrown into prison, interprets dreams, is forgotten, and then remembered, and then brought into the palace and put in charge of all the land. And this whole story plays out. And at the end, my children were looking at it and they were, and they were talking, they were kind of processing and they said, Joseph had to go through a lot of stuff for his dreams to come true, the dreams that God had given him. And we were talking about Joseph and boy, is that not a, true of his life? Just look at the life of Joseph. Who would have planned? God, I, Joseph had this dream that he was gonna rule over his brothers and God had given him this vision and this was gonna happen How was God going to complete that when he was thrown into the pit or when he was a prisoner or when he was a slave? And yet God's plans don't always match with what we think they should. And yet with his plans, his purpose is fulfilled. And we see in Micah 4 a God whose plan that we can trust and that we can hope in at all times, no matter what our circumstances may scream at us. Because the truth about our God is he makes the lowly lovely. And so when he says that he is going to build an eternal kingdom with those that are exiled, those that are are weak, those that are the remnant that have been driven away, that he will make them strong, he has a plan. And it talks about uh, later on um, in verse, where are you? Verse 13, I will give you a horn of iron, iron. And I will give you hooves of bronze. This represented strength. So God's plan was to take what was weak and make it strong to bring him glory. And so we see something that doesn't make sense and yet we can trust in him. And so my application question for this would be, are you hoping in God's plan? Are you trusting in God's plan? Even amidst your circumstances, Amidst whatever it is that you're facing in your life, do you still know that he is a good God? Do you still trust in his plan for your life even when it doesn't make sense? God, things are not playing out the way I expected them to. Do we trust him? Do we really believe, as we read in Romans 8, that he causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose? Do we believe that when we read it? Are we trusting in his plans? In the third place, we see in Micah 4 where we can have hope is we have hope in God's son. And this is the good part. This is the good part. We can have hope in God's son. We reach where our hope ultimately lies. Verse 10 talks about the Lord who will redeem you out of the hands of your enemies. 
The Lord will redeem you out of the hands of your enemies. Who is this redeemer? Could this be the same redeemer that the prophets have talked about? The one whose kingdom will have no end that we're reading about? Who is this redeemer? Well, that's why we celebrate Advent. That's why we celebrate Advent because he's already come. He's already come. Let's go back to Micah's contemporary friend, Isaiah. Remember, Isaiah was writing a message to the same people during the same time. So let's read Isaiah. Go to chapter 9, and we'll start in verse 2. Isaiah, if you go about uh, 8 or 9 verses to your left, you should hit it. If you're in Psalms and Proverbs, flip to the right. You'll hit it shortly. Be in Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. Let's read about this redeemer that Isaiah talks about and this redeemer that we read about in Micah 4. Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep, of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born, and to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, our mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace, and of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Does this not remind you of the Redeemer spoken about in Micah 4 who will rule from that day and forever? This is good news. We're reminded during this season of Advent that he has already come. We have a king who has already come. And we're reminded in Micah 4 that he's coming again to redeem and to restore and to bring peace. And we read that in his kingdom there will be no end. So our application to this point would be, are you hoping in God's son? Are you trusting in our redeemer? It's because of him that we have hope. It's because of Christ that we have hope. Because Jesus Christ is hope. In 1 Timothy, we read that our hope just doesn't come from Jesus. We read that Jesus is our hope. He is hope himself. See, Christ understood that we would need hope. Christ understood that we would need him and he let us know while he was walking with his disciples that in this life we would have trouble. 
we would face difficult circumstances. And yet he reminded us that he has overcome the world. That he has overcome those difficult circumstances and he reminded us that he is our hope. And Micah 1 through 3 seems a lot different than Micah 4 in tone and yet the message is the same. And Micah 1 through 3 is calling out people to turn to God. Put your trust in him. Because if not, there's, there's stuff coming. You need, you need to put your hope in God. Repent. Well, Micah 4 points us to the same God. A God that's coming that will rule and reign forever. You can have hope. You can have hope that his kingdom will never end. That he will not judge you the way the other judges have. That he will not rule over you the way that the rulers have in your past. He is a righteous ruler. As Dan mentioned earlier, he is a shepherd and a king. He cares for you and he leaves the 99 to come after you and yet he rules with absolute authority in your life. Of his kingdom, there is no end. In our lives today, maybe we come into times and circumstances that would speak to us that all hope is lost. You guys have the news. You all have Facebook. If you, if, well, hope, I, I hope you don't. I mean, I don't know. I might get rid of it. Who knows? But in our day, we see these circumstances and things that would speak to us that all hope is lost. And the reality is we do experience pain. We do experience heartbreak. We experience hopelessness. We look around us and we see that the world is not the way it should be. We look around and we see brokenness in the world at times and it seems to be everywhere at times. And maybe even you are going through a difficult time in your life now. Regardless of what the circumstance may be, maybe it's worry about the salvation of your children, loss of a loved one, sickness that you're dealing with, or someone that you love is dealing with sickness. Maybe the circumstances in your life right now have brought you to a place of hopelessness. But let me remind you of truth. Hope has come. And hope is coming. Hope has come and hope is coming. Because of Jesus living the perfect life and coming here, living the life that we couldn't live and becoming the sacrifice that we needed to reconcile us to God, we have hope. We have hope regardless of our circumstance and because he is one day returning as we read in Micah 4 to reign forever to call the least of these, to call the weak, the abused, the rejected, to reestablish his kingdom. We have hope in our future. We have hope in the Lord. And that's why as a church we enter into a season of Advent to celebrate, to look forward to hope. It's reflective anticipation of the coming of Christ and looking forward to the kingdom that will never end when he returns. We look to Christ. That's why we celebrate Advent. 